Well, good morning. Good morning. So, uh, Forestdale raised their hands. If you were part of Seven Mile Road Church, would you just raise your hand? Seven Mile Road there. And Forestdale, folks, you clap for them now. <laughs> we are so excited to come and be uh, with you and to sort of retell the story a little bit. And for you Forestdale folks, you may not know that uh, 19 years ago after we planted this church, this church... Uh, took a while to get rolling, but then they have since planted multiple times. And this summer, uh, Seven Mile Road is actually reconnecting with various of their parts that have been multiplied out of here. And so last week they met with the Seven Mile Road churches from Malden and Waltham and Kennebunk and Hyannis. And uh, they also met prior to that with Restoration Road. Joey Thompson and his crew came down from Wakefield. I don't think you've had a chance to meet with Philadelphia or Texas yet, but you Forestdale people need to know that Seven Mile Road is multiplied again and again all over the place. And we are so excited about that. So many people at both of our churches don't even really know how this all got going. How this got started all those years ago. And so Matt and I thought it would be both fun and a good idea to retell the story as we gather to worship God and to celebrate what God has done. And even as she just read from the scriptures there, to tell of God's great deeds and give him thanks with all of our hearts. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, and he said to them, brothers and sisters, remember what you were when you were called. And it's sort of as as we retell the story today, we're remembering what we were when we were called to this ministry. And he goes on to say, not many of you were wise by human standards, and not many were influential Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the lowly things of this world to nullify the things that are, that no one should boast before him. As we come to retell the story today, I want to be honest right up front that this is not a story about us, about Forestdale or Seven Mile Road or Paul McFeeders or Matt Cruz. This is an amazing story of God and what amazing things God has done. And for those of you that don't know me, I'm Paul McFeeders. I'm the pastor at the Forestdale Community Church in Malden. And for those of you who have never been to our site in Malden before, we gather in a sanctuary that's probably, you know, half the size of this sanctuary. Like, you think about this, this is about our church right here in terms of the size of our space. There's also one unisex bathroom. That's it. And like here... We have no parking except for on-street parking in the neighborhood, which we try not to drive our neighbors crazy with. And so this little church, by worldly standards, is not really a setting for a thriving ministry by any worldly standards. And I was called there in 1983, having just graduated from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. And if you do the math, that was 35 years ago. And at the same time, there were about 35 people who regularly gathered for worship at the Forestdale Community Church. And I was their first full-time pastor. They had never had a full-time pastor before. They'd had part-time pastors who were either seminary students who came down and did their seminary field ed work at the church as a pastor, or they were retired pastors who, after they were sort of finished ministry, came and did part-time work at the church. And so they took a risk in calling me to be their first full-time pastor. But there was this nucleus of people at that church who were praying and seeking God and asking what it is that he was calling them to do in order to actually make this ministry grow and thrive. And they felt called to actually hire leadership 
that would be there not just part-time for two years, but be there consistently over a period of time. They took a risk. I took a risk, too, with my wife, Nancy. I wasn't sure I was supposed to be a pastor. And my wife was certainly not sure she was going to be a pastor's wife. I was going to Gordon-Conwell, but I was getting a master's degree, and I was thinking I was going to go on for doctoral work, and I was hoping to teach, actually, at a college campus and be a professor. That's what I thought I was being called to. But a mentor of mine who had known us, Nancy and me, for three years that we were in seminary at the church that I was working with, that last year I was in seminary, he looked at me and said, Paul, if you do not go into pastoral ministry, you're missing your calling. I said, what? I... I had no thought about that. But he knew me well, and I respected him greatly. And I was not that smart. I needed somebody to actually speak into my life and tell me who I was. And he encouraged us to actually take some time off from schooling and to go into ministry for a little while and give it a try. And so this little church in Malden with 35 people was looking for their first full-time pastor, and I was experimenting with whether I even wanted to be a pastor or could be a pastor, and so there was this sort of fit, and I was called there to be the, church, the church's first pastor. And I thought I would try it for two or three years and then go back to school. That was my plan. We had no plans to be there for 35 years. And we certainly had no plans to start planting another church or other churches. I didn't even know what church planting was. I'd never even heard of it. But here's what happened. First, I discovered I really was a pastor. I loved pastoral ministry. It scared me to death. I was actually anxiety-ridden for the first five or ten years that I was in ministry, but still, it gave me life, and I couldn't not do it. And so we stayed. And then secondly, for no good earthly reason, the church at Forestdale started to slowly grow. And I mean that, for no good earthly reason. We grew. People, God kept sending to us. And we grew to 40, and then 50, and then 60, and then 70. Now, our church sanctuary holds 90 if you pack them in, but it is comfortably full at about 75. And after that, you're like sitting next to people like this. So we grew to that point, but among the people who would call Forestdale their home, if everybody showed up on like an Easter Sunday, the place was packed, and we had to have overflow seating. And so we took another major risk, and that was to go to two services. And so we started an 8.30 and an 11 o'clock services, and both those started to grow, so that pretty soon we had about 110 or 120 people that were showing up for worship on a Sunday, and we were still in this little tiny building. And we didn't know what to do. And we felt stuck. We were praying about our little building. We thought about moving to a new location. We thought about blowing the backside of the church off and extending it to add another 20 seats or something to the sanctuary. We thought about buying property of an abutter next door so that we could take the house maybe and either use it for Sunday school space or knock it down and turn it into a parking lot or something. But the city of Malden basically told us, you are tucked into this little neighborhood. We will not give you permits to actually build out the church with no parking. We will not give you permits to actually knock down houses and put up parking lots. We are sort of stuck. But we're tucked there, and one day, as we're praying about all of this stuff, I got this call from the conference minister of our denomination. We're part of the Conservative Congregational Christian Conference, the four C's. And the national nationwide conference minister called me up. At the time, I was serving as the area representative for the four C's in New England. And he said, Paul, I want you to join a little group to go to a church planter's boot camp in Indianapolis, 
We're going there to actually see if we can catch a vision for doing church planting in the four seas. I had no idea what church planting was. But because I was the area rep and because the conference minister asked me to, I said, sure, I'll go. So I went and I spent a week hanging out with church planters in Indianapolis. And amazingly enough, we were going there to... Whoop, am I like... We were going there to plant a vision in the four seas for doing church planting. But little did I know that when I got there, God would actually meet me and plant in me a new vision for doing ministry at Forestdale Community Church. He planted this vision in me that was an outside-the-box kind of a vision. God opened my eyes to see that instead of trying to figure out how to contain the growth that we were experiencing in one little building, we should start thinking about multiplying ministries outside the walls of that little church. That was the essential vision. But it also was accompanied by this idea of making more and better disciples. Men and women who, and children too would be learning to experience God's love and actually grow in His grace. They would learn to recognize His work in their lives and go out and imitate His love for them by loving other people in the community. It was a vision in which the Holy Spirit would be working through the lives of those people in the community, actually drawing others into the faith and into the fellowship. It was a vision in which new ministries would be springing up as these people began to discover their passions and their gifts and their own callings for ministry. It was a vision of an ongoing ministry within the church in which leaders would be leading, gifted teachers would be teaching, gifted musicians would be leading the worship, administrators would be administrating, evangelists would be resourced to do evangelism. And because of that boot camp, a vision in which the church would have church planters being raised up and missionaries being raised up to go outside the walls of our church to multiply ministries in Malden, Melrose, Wakefield, and beyond. That was the vision God planted in me at that church planters boot camp. But not only that, spending a week hanging around with church planters, I saw what they were like and dawned on me, I've got one of those guys right now in my own church, Matt Cruz. At the time, Matt and Grace and Margaret and Glenn had been coming to our church for a couple of years. And Matt was actually the volunteer youth leader for our youth group at the Forestdale Community Church while he was doing his MBA at Boston University. He's getting an MBA in nonprofit entrepreneurial startup businesses. And one day he comes into my office and he starts telling me about he's about to graduate with this MBA, but some of the plans he had seem to be falling through, and he's been feeling this sort of call to ministry, but he thinks he maybe picked the wrong degree program, and instead of doing an MBA, maybe he should have gone to seminary, and he's not sure what he should do. I said, Matt, what would you say if I said, could you make your nonprofit entrepreneurial startup business a church? He said, you mean start a new church? I said, yeah. He said, are we allowed to do that? <laughs> That's exactly what he said. I started to tell him about this boot camp that I had just come back from. And I told him about these guys that I'd been hanging around with. And I told him about this whole vision for church planting in the Four Seas. Matt said, I would do that tomorrow. I said, you better go talk to Grace. <laughs> At the time, she's 
pregnant with Matthew J, expecting their first child. I said, you go home and talk to your wife. Well, he goes home. That was like on a Friday. Monday, he comes back and says, I'm in. I said, wait a minute, what? But literally, Matt said, you know what? I've been feeling this tug towards ministry, but I could never be you. I could never be the pastor of a settled church, but the idea of starting one from scratch, I would do it tomorrow. Now, that's pretty cool, isn't it? But you know what else is cool? We started thinking and planning, and we started talking to the leadership at Forestdale, and we called the whole church together for what we called a congregational meeting, and you call a members forum, and we had the most unbelievable meeting I have ever been to in the time that I have been at the Forestdale Community Church. The Forestdale Church actually grabbed onto this vision, and they affirmed it and unanimously voted to go ahead with this crazy idea of planting a church in Malden. Like, not way someplace else, but in our own community, out from us. And it was an amazing meeting that we had. And as we voted on that, I went home that night, and I was stunned at the glory of God to both coordinate this thing and plant the vision and enable us to take this first step. But you know what? I went to bed, and I woke up at 6 in the morning, and I thought, oh, my God, what have we done? And literally, at 6 in the morning, I'm down in our living room, flat on the floor, my face down, saying, God, I don't know how to plant a church. And neither does Matt. Really. We didn't know what we were doing. And so we started on this journey, but it was this amazing risk that we were taking, and it was a risk with consequences. Consequences in my life, consequences in Matt and Grace's life, consequences in the life of our church. Change does not come easily, and we were sending about 20 to 25 of our people out of 120 or so away to plant a new church, and some of them were leaders in our church, like Matt and Grace, like Glenn and Margaret. Some of them were good young families with young children in our church, like uh, Franny and Teresa Brown and Dana and Marie Brown with their kids at that time. A lot of the kids that were in Matt's youth group, they all wanted to go to the church plant. We lost our whole high school group to the church plant. Some of these young families were good givers. We were losing money. We were losing people in doing this thing. It was a nutty thing for us to do. But we felt like God had called us to do it. And not everybody in our church, even though they voted unanimously, not everybody was fully on board with the idea. Not everybody was happy as the changes started coming around. Not everybody was happy at the next congregational meeting when our finances were tanking. Not everybody was happy. And I discovered how addicted I am to making people happy. That was an idol in my life that had to start coming down. I am a people pleaser. I wanted everybody to be happy, happy, happy. And not everybody was, but we had to actually trust in God and trust in his vision of what he'd called us to do and somehow work our way through that stuff. And it was not an easy couple of years. It took three or four years before we actually recouped the loss of people and recouped the loss of money and sort of brought new people into some leadership posts of those that we'd lost. It was a difficult period of time for us. It was not easy on Matt either, and he can tell that story in a few minutes. But the amazing thing was that God began to actually grow both of these churches, ours and what was now called Seven Mile Road. And he has done amazing things. And when I look back now, I think so much of that original vision that was planted in me at that church planter's boot camp has been fulfilled. 
more and better disciples being made all over the place. Multiple ministries outside the walls of our church and now all over the place. Churches being planted. People coming to experience God's love and grace and growing in it. More people discovering their gifts and callings and stepping out into ministry. And not just through Forestdale and Seven Mile Road. That group of people who came back from that church planters boot camp in the Four Seas, they did plant a vision in the Four Seas, and there has been this growing movement within our denomination for church planting all over the United States and beyond. It's phenomenal. And it's unbelievable to me, the funniest thing is that God used Forestdale, this little church, as a model for not just talking about church planting, but for doing it. It began to be talked about and said in the Four Seas that if a church the size of Forestdale can plant a church, anybody can plant a church. And really, that's God's sense of humor, that he takes the little things of this world and he uses them for his great big purposes. He chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He takes the weak things to shame the strong. He takes the lowly things to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It's an amazing God story. And to God be the glory. Amen. Matt, come on up and share from your perspective. Testing one, two. Yes? Good? I'm tall enough to preach from behind the pulpit. You can see me, right? Good. Um, thank you. I love you. Me too. I could tell you a thousand stories of God's grace in my soul. I got 15 minutes to do it. Um, so I'm going to put a couple of big ideas up here that I need you to see, but I just want to press on the last for you. These are things that are written in the DNA of our church from our experience at Forestdale. Here's the first one. Willingness to take risks. He already landed the plane on that one. It was a missiological risk, planting a church in the same zip code. It was a reputational risk. What happens if there's a scandal or a controversy right on the other side of town and it blows black back on this church that has been steady for a generation? It was a relational risk. We got along great. What happens now? It was a financial risk. We had a member meeting where me with the MBA had to say, um, you can't keep giving to our church because that arrow pointing down. Thank you. Risk, 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 and they went for it. We have written that into our DNA as a church. We learned it right there. Here's the second one. Patience with young leaders. I was 27 years old when this story was getting started. If Paul and Nancy had $5 for every question that I asked in the first three years, they'd be living in Maui right now. He always knew it was me coming up the stairs because I would take them three at a time. <laughs> Theological questions, pastoral questions, missiological questions. In a real sense, I was clueless. And the church was patient and encouraging and optimistic. And we have written that into the life of our church. There are seven young men planting Seven Mile Road churches because you have been patient with them. Our ministries coordinator right now is in her 20s. Our mentor ministry student is in his 20s. Our pastoral resident is in his 20s. We have learned how to do gospel and safety and time with young leaders from Paul. 
and your church. Thank you. Here's the big one I want to press in with my time, though. It was this. You taught me to be prayerful for big things. Prayerful. Now that we're in a building, a bunch of people ask me, hey, where did Seven Mile Road start? Because I know you, this wasn't like original. Where did this place start? If they're local, they say it just like that. Where did this place start anyway? <laughs> Sometimes I give them the Sunday school answer, and I say, it started in the mighty heart of God. <laughs> that is mystical. That is theological. Maybe it sounds cute, but it's true. Do you believe that before the foundation of the world, the Trinity set their affections on some men and some women to win them for the glory of Jesus? If you do, you believe that every church that has ever started, started in the heart of God. That's a good answer. Sometimes I go like this. It started right here. That's a little bit myopic, and we don't want to overstate that, but it's also true. Sundays at Forestdale are not like crazy, wild mornings. We sing hymns, we preach gospel, we love one another. It's kind of quiet. If you could have broken over my chest in those three years, though, it was a hurricane. Conviction of sin, gospel wakefulness love for my Bostonian neighbors, a vision for pastoral ministry that I did not know existed. It was like fanfare in my soul, and a seed was planted. So in a sense, it started in here. Sometimes I do chuckle and I say, it started right in Paul's office. I'm serious. He came back from this church planting thing, and that is verbatim. He painted a picture of church planting, and I said, time out. Are you allowed to do that? Why aren't we doing that? Let's do that. Uh, in a sense, in that room was the first time we articulated the vision for a church. Sometimes I say, in my parents' living room in Everett, where we would get together with the core team in those first few months before we had a space. Sometimes I say, it started on the front porches of all the houses in the Edgeworth neighborhood of Malden. And I was knocking on doors and I was talking to people about gospel and church. Sometimes I say it started in the dilapidated Emerson School Hall, which is one of my favorite rooms on the planet. If you were there with us, you know what I mean by dilapidated. <laughs> Giant water stains coming down at you. Always filthy because there was a daycare in there all week long. You never knew if the heat was going to be on. You were just praying, Jesus, please, let me hear the pipes banging when I get there. That's where the church first began to form. But my favorite answer, my favorite answer is that Seven Mile Road started in a few folding chairs in this crowded, stuffy, small library in the Forestdale Community Church. Every Wednesday night for the first year of the idea of this church, myself, Joe Gallagher, and Angelo Stathopoulos would pray. They were both 30 to 40 years older than me, so they're hanging out with this young guy. They both had that spiritual gift of faith to pray for big things and encouragement so that I didn't quit three weeks in. You know when you get a pretzel right out of that hot oven at the mall? That's what my soul felt like after these nights with Angelo and Joe. 
There was nothing Instagrammable about these nights together. Nothing. Basically, we just did three things. We would read scripture. The brothers would literally open up the hymnals, like the real one with the music notes, and we would sing hymns. And then we would just petition the Father for impossible stuff and just ask him to be good for us. And we did it week after week after week for a year. You know the Richter scale? If that thing had negative numbers, that's how these nights would have registered in human eyes. But I would not trade that birthplace for our church for anything. Those two men taught me we must start and surround everything that we're going for in prayer. They taught me that. Now that was a huge lesson for me because I'm a Bostonian kid and if, if you are a Bostonian person, you know that our natural bent is to think, I don't need to pray. I got this. That's how we are wired. Most of you, that is just in your blood. So my 18-year-old, who's about exactly as old as the idea of church planting is, right, because he was in utero when we were almost starting, he is at a retreat for his senior year in high school this weekend, getting ready to do that well. He is Bostonian all the way down to his toes. When he was three years old, we were going across Lebanon Street to the cemetery to ride our bikes. I don't know if that is legal, but forgiveness is better than permission in that sense, you know? See, a Bostonian would say that, right? We got this. We can ride our bikes over there. Lebanon Street is one of the few streets in Melrose that runs straight and downhill for more than 45 yards without a light or a turn. And so it's a speed trap. People are so frustrated at Forest and Lebanon that when the light turns green, they just pound that thing downhill. And the cops have a field day. Well, we were walking across that street into the cemetery, and I was behind him pushing his little bicycle with the training wheels. And I'm telling you, this kid just waltzed right out to Lebanon Street just like this. And there was a Honda Pilot bearing down at him about 45 miles an hour. And he turned his head to the left, and he lifted his hand <laughs> as if he was some kind of fully deputized officer of the law or Iron Man. Like, I'm going to shoot a rocket out of this hand right here if you don't stop. I screamed. The driver slammed on his brakes. And my son just looked at me with this little smirk as if to say, Dad, relax. I got this. This is how we are wired in our natural selves. Have you ever gone into Boda Borg with a group of Bostonian friends? You know what Boda Borg is? Oh, are you going to get out of the room and figure the mystery? When I go in there with my boys, nobody panics. Nobody sweats. Nobody hesitates. Nobody prays. We got this. We invented the telephone in Boston. We chased the British back across the pond. We built the first subway ever in the States, and then we topped it with a billion-dollar big dig. <laughs> we gave the world John Adams and John Winthrop and Samuel Adams and his beer, and we gave the world... Mark Wahlberg, and we gave the world <laughs> Steve Tyler. I'm sorry about that one. 
and we got Harvard, and we got MIT. Come on. We are educated. We are smart. We are capable. We are savvy. We are experienced. We are ambitious. We can figure stuff out. We work hard. We got this. We got this. Our temptation is to carry that attitude into the work of gospel ministry. But Joe and Angelo disciplined me for a year to strip that from me, to teach me that is not how this works. That is not how this works. You must be humble and dependent on the Spirit. You got to start and surround everything in prayer. They taught me how to do that. We call that kites at Seven Mile Road. That's our favorite word for this truth. We are either like kites or we're dead. You know what I mean by that? So we used to vacation on one of the Falmouth Fingers down in Cape Cod when our kids were little. It was a ball. And when they were all in grammar school one time, I said, we're flying kites tonight. Let's do the kites thing. So we went to the Christmas tree shop and we bought everybody their own kite. And uh, we went home and we YouTubed how to fly a kite. Six of them to make sure we knew how to do this. We got this. We're going to fly these kites. We read every single word on the back of the package all the way down. We got this. We're going to fly these kites. We went to a field after lunch and a huge field. We did everything that the direction said. You put the kite down, face up. You stretch out the string about 10 yards. You hold it behind you like this, and then you run like hell. That's how you get a kite to fly. We got this. 20 minutes, me and my kids are running through the field, and all we're doing is dragging kites behind us, bounding through the grass. Daddy tried is what they're going to put like on my tombstone, you know. <laughs> he was invested. He wasn't a great dad, but at least he gave it the efforts. Dad tried. I was so embarrassed, I was like, all right, we'll go to the beach tonight. We'll try it again. We'll try it again. We go to the beach after dinner, sunset, down on the ocean front now. Same exact mechanics, same exact technique, same exact human ingenuity. Did it all the same. Kite down, walk out the rope, turn and run this way, and then run like hell. This time... Those kites took off. I'm 205 pounds, and I like got lifted off the ground for a second in there. They soared. What's the only variable that we were missing in Wind. the field? See, the Bible would say spirit. Same word as wind. Here's how Jesus said it. I am the vine. You are branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. And then here's the lesson that Joe and Angelo taught me. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Some of you are prayerless. Your life is prayerless. And you know it. If we ran back the last seven days, there's under five minutes in prayer. Think about that with me. Do you believe Jesus? That he's the vine. You're a branch. That's an incredibly beautiful thing. But if you're apart from him, 
you're dead on the ground like a kite in a field. With Him, you can bear much fruit. The reason that we don't pray, one is because we're not going for big enough things. And we do got this because we're not risking anything. Another is because we think, I can do this on my own. Joe and Angelo told me we're not going to get five feet if we don't start and surround everything in prayer. We take a look at your soul and your life with me. Are you going for some big things? And I don't mean big, sexy, worldly things. I mean, are you asking the Lord to show up in your life, in your story, in your church, in our church? And as you give yourself to that work, are you beginning and surrounding everything in prayer? I learned that from these guys, and it has made all the difference. All right, I'm going to lead us in prayer now, we're going to do that. I'm just going to give you something to pray about. You can just whisper. If you're not a prayer, begin to discipline yourself to say, I'm going to have faith that the Father is for me, and the Son is for me, and the Spirit is for me. And He intends to use my prayer as a means of His grace. Boom going. Let's humble ourselves right now in the middle of a worship service and let's just ask the Lord for some big things. Let's pray for Forestdale Church, for unity, for courage, for gospel wakefulness. Let's pray for Seven Mile Road Melrose right here, for unity, for some courage, for gospel wakefulness in us and those Jesus is giving us. Let's ask him for that. Part of Jesus' mission for us is this whole church planting thing, so let's pray for Restoration Road in Wakefield and the Seven Mile Roads in Houston and Philly and Kennebunk and Waltham and Malden. Let's pray for the same, for unity, for courage, for wakefulness. Let's pray for those who have not yet believed the gospel on these streets around these churches. Let's do that. Let's pray for dissatisfaction with the status quo of their lives and conviction of their sin. Opportunities for us to love and gospel them. And let's pray 
that the Spirit would blow through our hearts, that we would see with clear eyes the unrivaled, unsurpassed, unmatchable glory of Christ, that all this junk that we stuff into our minds and our days and our hearts would be purged, that Jesus would be Lord, that our joy would be full. Would you ask for that for yourself, that from there beautiful gospel would happen? Let's ask for that. Father, we seek you in prayer together. Jesus, you promised that you would build your church and your church would kick down the gates of hell. That your church is sent to rescue sinners from the wrath of God and to move them out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We can't do a thing without you. All of our sermons and teams and small groups and VBSs and all the rest are just dead on the ground without your spirit. But if you would come and if you would animate and energize, all things are possible. So I pray that you would teach us to pray and to believe and to work hard that at least the few years that we have to build your church would be recorded forever as good ones that the glory of Jesus might be shown off. Hear the prayer of our family gathered here this morning and answer, I pray, in the strong name of your Son. Amen.